When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Ikern Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino, we've got a long interview with Landry Jones. Talk about his career at OU. Talk about his career with the Steelers, the XFL. It is, it's a great discussion that you guys are going to enjoy. And that's it. Please download and subscribe to the podcast. Rate it five stars and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. Our man, Michael Hostie, will kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. Listen to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Ike Lehman, presented by Riverwind Casino. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience, and your health and safety are Riverwind's number one priorities. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful, award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including Blackjack, Blackjack Match, Roulette, and Teddy's favorite, Craps. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. And Fridays in June from 6 p.m. to midnight, you can win your share of $80,000 in cash and bonus play in Riverwind's $80,000 summer vacation promotion. If you need help finding your way, just visit Riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, simply the one. Now, we are recording this way in advance, way in advance, Ted. So we're doing some time traveling here. By now, I have been a dad for a few days. So I know I know it hasn't happened yet, but just think in the future. How do you think it's going for me? So far, first couple days of fatherhood. The first 48 hours of fatherhood, you've had four hours sleep, depending. Hopefully, uh, things are going okay. Four hours sleep is probably about right. You're going to be scared that everything you do is like going to injure severely uh, the child. And it's you're almost at the depths of hell at this point and it's going to start getting better you're going to be at the point where you're saying oh my god there is no way that it can always be like this it's impossible and then it's just going to get you know that one percent better thing you know just one percent better it's yeah, going just to start, get one percent better every day right yeah you're going to be at the depths and that's where it's going to start getting one percent better every day okay so i'm going to hit rock bottom and it's all it's all up from there. Yeah, forty eight hours or so, three days in. That's where you hit rock bottom. Well, all right. Check in with me <laughs> because well, I I hate to tell you this, and I don't know if anyone oh gosh. anyone sold you on this, but that first night that you're going where you're going early, you won't get any sleep then either. So you're going to be starting the whole situation with a big deficit of sleep. This is going to be great. Can't wait. (laughs) You know, if you have some encouraging words like Teddy about fatherhood, go ahead and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and leave us a nice comment about fatherhood while you're at it. Why not? I'm Hey, I'm just telling you that. You're just being real. That's that's fine. I'm going to be, you're going to tell me, I'm, I'm essentially going to be a zombie, it sounds like, and I'm going to be, scared to do anything 
because I think I might kill the child. Am I yeah. understanding that correctly? You're going to call your parents and friends that have a newborn a couple of times an hour for the first couple of days. Like, what? Like, how do you do this? Like, he's doing this. What am I supposed to do? It's going to be brutal. But and if it's not, if what I'm telling you doesn't happen, that's just a bonus, man. You were set up for something really bad and it wasn't all that bad. Well, all right. So, well, just this prepared. whole episode is an interview with the one and only Landry Jones. Here he is, Landry Bones Jones. It is our pleasure to be joined by the all-time leading passer in Oklahoma football history and in Big 12 football history. He is quite possibly one of the most underappreciated football players in the history of college football. <laughs> Landry Jones is in the house. What's up, man? Man, nothing. Thanks for having me. That shirt is fiery. Thank what you. Is it, is, it is an Oklahoma breakdown shirt. Um, Dude, shout you out can get to these Oklahoma from my costume. They're pretty sweet. I Where have like the 10 or 12-year-old version of that same T-shirt. It's a good well, t-shirt. I can get you one. Authentic. We've got some extra ones downstairs. I'll, I'll get you one. Yeah, I need one badly. What size? What size? Are we, are we still in the here. XL range? Or? Oh, we're double X these days. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. boy. Yeah. Say it ain't so bad. Dude, I might weigh more than you right now, Gabe. Okay. I stepped on a scale this morning before I worked out. I was 246 and a half pounds. Ooh, that's not bad. That's not bad. I'm I'm heavier than a look is the way that I put it. You are. Okay. You are. What? Just take a wild guess. I stepped on the scale at a restaurant the other night. You're so. Are you six five? Six four. Six four. Okay. Me and Landry are about the same height, and you were about two twenty five when we played together. That's generous. I'll take it. So yes, be, before the vomiting, before weighing. Um, yeah. I'm going to say you're 238. I wish I was 238. Oh, no. Yeah, he's thrown me. I went price is right strategy. Oh, dude. 245. Got to be 245. 255. Yeah, let's go. Into the linebackers late, son. You're trying to hit that, that driver, get a little extra yardage on there, aren't you? There's no question. There's some frustration right now. You uh you spent too much time with Roethlisberger, clearly. Function about that. <laughs> so we didn't, we'll, we didn't we'll, spend enough time watching film. We spent most of our time eating. Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll get to that. I did I did want to start with the OU stuff, obviously, hey, because you had such a tremendous career. I was there for a lot of it, all of it, except for your red shirt year. But I always wondered, I never asked you. How does a guy from New Mexico end up at OU? Like, how how did that all go? How was your recruitment? Like, how do you go from Artesia, New Mexico, to like, yeah, Norman, Oklahoma is the spot for me, dude? Um, so from a tiny, tiny town, like ten thousand people, tiny town, and just did the whole quarterback camp circuit. Um, went to like Tennessee, went to Oklahoma, SC. Oregon, all the stuff just bounced around from camp to camp to camp. And then, you know, I had offers from most of the Big 12 and the Pac, I guess it was Pac-10 back then, but Pac-12, whatever it's called now. Um, and then Oklahoma called and I was like, well, you know, that's the best school that offered me so far. So that's what I'm going to take. And then, you know, old Bob came down, knocked on the door and said, hey, what's up? Do you want to come? And I'm like, yeah, for sure. Let's do this thing. And that so, was basically it. Hype was the quarterback coach at yeah. that point, right? So he was yep. just the quarterback coach. Uh, what was that relationship like? It was great whenever he was a quarterback coach. He, um, you know, Hype is just like a stickler, man. He would never let off the freaking gas. So whenever he was a quarterback coach, man, we were humming and he was, me and him were grooving. And then uh, Coach Wilson, God bless him. He was the uh, OC. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Gabe's starting to have, like, PTSD. Starting, starting to, to sweat. Yeah, for sure. About to pass out over there. <laughs> no, yeah. Kevin uh, 
Kevin was a he was a unique dude, but I will say this about him. He may of any coach, he may have got the most out of his players. He was the best coach I had at Oklahoma. Even though he would call me ridiculous stuff. <laughs> it's so bad, dude. Almost bring me to tears. But man, he was a freaking good football coach. Brutal. It's so Brutal. funny. Whenever you think back to like the, the coaching staff that I, I played for in the early 2000s, most of those coaches have been disciplined in some form or fashion for treatment of players. <laughs> <laughs> Almost all of them. Wilson, yeah. Mangino, Ship. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> oh, man. You just didn't know. You didn't know it was abuse. You just got used to it. That's right. That's funny. <laughs> It was, uh, it was certainly an experience. Okay. So you get there. Oh, eight. Right. And I'm just, I'm just curious because that, that was probably an interesting year for you. You red shirt, but it's the year Sam wins the Heisman. It's the year they go play in the national championship game. Like what, what was it like being part of that team for you? Um, that was like maybe one of the, most defining years of my life, you know, coming from being a big fish in a small pond to freaking coming to OU. And then you're really the, I don't know, I think I was like fourth string quarterback and just losing all your confidence, losing your identity. And, you know, that first year I went through it and I was just like, screw this. I ain't doing that no more. I don't want to come back to school. Uh, And I was like at, at that point. And then thank God I freaking, stuck it out and ended up having a really good career and stuff like that. But man, that was a, you know, we had so much, it was cool to, it was almost like a gift and a curse, you know, because it's like your first year to do it, go to college, but you're so successful that you're like, Oh, this is what it's, this is what it's like. This just happens. You know, we just, it just happens that ever we, we play, we beat teams and then we go to the national championship you know, and then it never happened for us after that. But, you know, that it was an awesome experience, but it set the bar so high that everything else that I ever accomplished in my career seemed like a failure. Yeah. So the timing is really fascinating because when you were getting recruited and whenever you signed, OU hadn't started this new, like, up-tempo, this this new style of offense, 08 was the year that it kind of burst onto the scene. Now, right. did you know that in your recruitment leading up, like, hey, we're going to be doing some different things, and is that part of why you went, or was that kind of a new thing that they threw out there and you know, it was, right before yeah. the season? Yeah, it was like a new thing that was right before – not right before the season. I, I think they were working on it a little bit and did a little in 07. I'm not real for sure on, on the history of it, but – um, coach Wilson, you know, he was just like, this is what we're going to do. This is what I believe in. And, you know, everybody has their own little touch, own little flair as far as up tempo and things like that. And so he put his own spin on it, whatever you want to call it, um, and turned it into his offense. And man, that was great. It was an awesome offense to play in. Yeah, there was, there was certainly a big emphasis on tempo. Yeah. So do you want to do you want to talk about BYU or do you want to talk about Texas that first year? Because both times, right, Sam gets hurt. He, he Either one were, were, were equally as painful. Yeah, let's let's start with <laughs> – let's go in chronological order. Yeah, yeah. Let's, which let's go with one BYU. you want to start with? They both were terrible experiences. Yeah, so <laughs> Sam wins the Heisman, decides to come back, right? And first game, we're playing maybe the first game in Jerry World. Against yeah, BYU. Uh, it was. It was the very first game. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes down early and you are thrust into action. My eyes were like basketballs. Dude. I was just, um, I was spinning. I couldn't believe that I was actually playing and I had no clue what I was doing. Just out there freaking winging it, flying by the seat of my pants. Yeah. That, and again, you know, we end up losing that game, but. It is what it is. I, I just we- remember after the game, it's it's one of my like I, I don't have many memories from football, <laughs> especially on the field. That that's probably alarming, honestly. Yeah, but, maybe we'll go get that checked. 
but I remember so vividly you crying in the locker room after the game and apologizing to everyone. And what a wuss, right? No, the whole time. And it's like the only thing I said to you, I was like, dude, you don't have anything to apologize for. And you like gave me the most sincere look of like, dude, I needed to hear that. <laughs> I was there was so much shame. Oh, I felt like I had the world on my shoulders and I let everybody down. It sucked. I think we, if you've played football long enough, you've had a moment where you, it, it all of a sudden hits you like, oh my God, I am not prepared for this. Like oh, whether, whether it's someone going down in front of you, whether it's, like something that you just haven't seen or whatever it is, it just hits you like a ton of bricks. So I know you're ha- whenever you saw Sam laying there, it had to hit you like immediately. Oh my God, I'm not prepared for this. What, what was the first thing that hype said to you or anyone said to you when they walked over and said, okay, you ready to go? Was there any, any calming at all? Or is no, it like just- no, no one was coddling me. No one was doing nothing. He was just like, grab your helmet get in and i was like whoa where's my helmet it's so all running around and around on the sideline i was like dude where did i freaking put this thing and i finally found it i ran i don't even remember what plays we called i don't remember anything from that game i just remember being just in over my head so we lose that one but you really i mean you strung together some good games and then we we go into Texas that year in 09. It's a it's a big game like it always is. But I, what was it? Sam came back from maybe it was like Baylor right before that. Yeah, he played. I think he might have played Baylor or something and played okay. And I think we – I don't know. I don't even remember if we won or not. But, yeah, he came back. I think it was Baylor. I think you're right. So what was that just like emotionally for you that year where it's like, okay, I didn't expect to be on the field. All of a sudden I'm on this, uh, I'm on the field against some grown ass men from BYU. (laughs) And then it's like, did you, did you almost feel like, okay, I can relax a little bit. I can just learn. I can kind of settle in. And then the Texas thing happens where he goes down again and you're thrown out there again in the other biggest game of the year. It was kind of always like that, like yo-yo back and forth. You know, I knew he was going to be out um, like a game or two after BYU. And then he started throwing and he would look good in practice. And then they'd be like, hey, in our meeting room, Sam, he he might play. And so I was like, okay, how do I how do I handle that? So it was always like them kind of dangling that carrot in front of me where it's like you might play, you might not just be prepared. And then it got way better. I hate, I hate to say that, but whenever he, he went down against Texas, then I knew I was like, okay, he's done. This is mine. And I can finally just, no one's going to bail you out. Like there's no, yeah. like, I just got to get to this end point. It's I, you've got it. You got the yeah. will. Yeah. So I, I don't know that anyone, I, I don't know if we've ever seen that before or since where the reigning Heisman trophy winner goes down like first, quarter of the season so you were thrown into really an impossible situation it's hard to come in after a Heisman Trophy winner no matter what right but under those circumstances makes it even more difficult so when you look back at it what do you think you learned what do you what did you carry from that uh as you move forward you know um either something that helped you or maybe something that hurt you like that I could understand someone coming out of that season with a confidence issue and having a real hard time getting that back maybe. So how did that affect you in the future? You know, the confidence thing is interesting. And I thought that I was thinking about the other day and I didn't really struggle with that. And I was like, why didn't I struggle with it? But it was like, it it just happened so fast and unexpectedly Mm -hmm. that I like, I had no time to react or think or, or anything like that. So the confidence one wasn't the big deal. It was learning how to play, learning how to prepare. And, you know, something that stuck with me from that, whenever I went to the NFL and was a backup, it was just like, Hey, I've been in that spot before when I, you never know, you never know when a guy is going to take a hit. So I'm not ever going to let myself not prepare like I'm the starter, get all the mental reps and practice and prepare like I'm going to play. So it was like after practice, I was watching tape and 
in the meeting rooms for hours and for letting myself get ready to go. Cause I just never knew if, you know, Ben was ever going to go down and not play. And, um, you know, it never really happened like that, like that, where I had to go in, but I was always ready. Right. I just, I, I don't know why I'm so curious and staying on the negative train, but if you could, <laughs> you're, you're riding that thing. I'll just ride the negativity train. If you could erase one of these games, which one would you do? Oh, nine, Nebraska. Oh, in oh. Lincoln or okay. 2011, Texas tech in Norman. Oh, 2011, Texas tech for sure. Thank you. Good choice. Oh, nine. We were out of it already. Our season was trashed. But 2011, we were we could have you know we could have ran the table. I'm trying to think. Is that 09 game? Is that whenever Sue was just beating oh, someone? Man. What it was, was Jarvis? That? Jarvis yeah. Jones yeah. ended up. He ended up. Bad. It was so bad. He ended up on the Heisman reel. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, dude, bad. Like him in my lap all game long. Didn't help that I threw five picks in that game. And we freaking lost by seven. It was like 10 to three. Our defense was so good. I, I was redshirting that year. I was watching that game on TV. And the entire time I was just like, this is one of the worst football games I've ever watched. Dude, horrible, horrible game. I couldn't believe we're still in it. And we're still throwing the ball. That Wilson was still dialing up passes left and right. I kept throwing it to the other team. So what was that like? What was that transition like to go from um, Wilson as the offensive coordinator to and Heupel as quarterback coach to Heupel now as the quarterback coach and offensive coordinator? Ha- probably had a much better feeling of your strengths and weaknesses and, and how to call plays in your favor, set the offense up in your favor. Yeah, it was good. You know, it was it, – with anything – like any, anything anyone does for the first time, there was a learning curve. And I felt like me and Hype had to kind of figure out each other's learning curve and figure out what each other liked. Um, you know, we spent a bunch of time together in that quarterback room is him just the quarterback coach, but he wasn't in charge of calling plays. He wasn't in charge of, of doing any of that stuff. All he was focusing on was making us better quarterbacks. And that was it. And so I think there was, me and him both had this learning curve with each other. There were times of frustration and times of, you know, times where we like felt like we were gelling together because that relationship between quarterback and offensive coordinator is like hand in glove type of deal. And it takes time to develop that, Um, you know, and as I felt like our, my senior year, we were starting to kind of gel a little bit and start to figure each other out, you know? And so it kind of feels like one of those deals where we just kind of ran out of time. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs, checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And don't forget to send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis' college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, back to the interview. Okay, I remember I remember wanting to ask you this at the time as kind of t- 2012 unfolded. Do you ever regret coming back? Because in 2011, and, and I, I know the mock drafts aren't everything, right? But you were projected 
you know, first round at the worst second round, people are talking about maybe being the third quarterback off the board. Do you ever now, now that you've had time that your career's over, you've had time to reflect, do you ever look back on it and go, man, I should have left. You know, think, I think about that all the time. Um, professionally, I should have left 2010. That's when I should have left. Um, but I just wasn't, I just wasn't ready, you know, emotionally. And then I even just think about my relationships. Like I got married my senior year. I don't know if me and Whitney would have made it. So, you know, hindsight, you know, professionally, yes, but I feel like I've made the right call for myself staying 2012. Um, you know, but looking back at it, if I had to give anybody advice, if they're single, they don't have anything going on with their family. It's like, man, if you, if you have a good year, then uh, I, I would have left. I should have left 2010. And if I could have, you know, hindsight's always 2020, but if I could have looked into the future, that's the year I would have left. Did you have that conversation with anyone? Like, did you and Hyde have that conversation? No, we had that conversation in 2011. Was he, was he trying to convince you to come back? Was he like, what was his, his take on it? It's tough as a coach, man. You, you want the best for your players uh, and how that reflects on you and how it reflects on the university. And, you know, you develop a tight relationship, you know, but at the same time, you know, you're trying to, you're trying to go out there and win championships. Yeah. Hype and, and coach Stoops were always on the, on the train of, of me coming back um, more so, more so hype um, than, than anybody else. He was always the one that was pushing for me to, to come back. Um, you know, I don't really remember those conversations all that well, um, but it always landed in the same place of him wanting me to come back and me staying that extra year. So you, you do come back. I mean, we have a decent year in 2012, but at, at the end of that season, what, what was going through your head, right? As you're heading into the draft process, you know, we, we won some good games that year. We had the Notre Dame loss, which everyone shit on us for. Um, yeah. But I mean, it was still a, a solid season. We get drilled in the bowl game. Right. But at the end of that year, I mean, what, what was going through your head? Man, I was done. You know, once we like that bowl game, I was just like, I was done. I was mentally checked out. I was just fried and, and ready to get out of there at, at, at that point, you know? And so, yeah, that, that bowl game was, I, I was really just looking forward to having fun. It was just like, that's where I was in that mental space, right or wrong. I was just toast, man. I was ready to get out of there. So we've meandered our way through the bad times. There's got to <laughs> be. I mean, we've made it sound really bad, but like 09 through 12, we won a lot of games. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, one games setting records along the way. Um, there's, there's tons of, of fantastic stuff in there. Uh, what are some of your best memories? What are you, what are your, some of your, your favorite moments, favorite plays, just what sticks out about your time there? That was, that was really good, man. I love the, I love playing Florida state. That was one of the coolest, like, uh, um, so sick. Yeah. Out of, out of conference games that we played. I love going to Florida state. That stadium was unbelievable um that was a really cool game um it was cool that we were like what number one versus five or something like that it was it game was really day cool. i think it was i can't remember if it was 8 30 i think it was 8 30 eastern Dude, it was kickoff. yeah it was a late 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 one yeah that early game. though that's good though it would have been hot out in that florida sun Ooh, yeah September. um all the te- all the texas games those were unbelievable. I've never played in any game like professionally, anything like that one. Um, you know, that 09 one, holy crap, dude. Sergio Kendall came around the corner and like clotheslined me, caught me right in the right in the ear hole. And I remember I landed on the ground and I set up like I was sitting on my butt and I was sitting up like this and my hands in my lap. And I was just kind of looking around and I was like, where am I right now? Why am I? <laughs> why am I sitting on the ground? And then it finally dawned on me and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm 100% concussed. 
And so I just got up and I called the next play and went on playing and stuff like that. But dude, I had no clue where I was. Um, yeah, all the Texas games were cool. The Fiesta Bowl was sweet. Um, there are a lot more. Yeah, good UConn things. was really good. Yeah, good thing UConn. <laughs> oh my gosh. There are a lot more good times than bad times, that's for sure. Okay, Any I did the locker room jacking around. That was fun. Always fun. Yep. My specialty. Um, you 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 look at the career and one of the weirdest things about your time at OU was the dynamic between you and the fans and, and, you know, being in it, it was, it was weird for all of us as players. And did that bother you? Because it, it, for the, the numbers you were putting up for the games that we were winning, I know the expectation was to go win a national championship and we didn't do that, but did it bother you how much, negativity seemed to be pointed at you from the fan base i just didn't understand it i really didn't yeah i was just like i don't really know what's going on here i don't know why i'm getting all this shade thrown at me for whatever reason you know i know again i know it's like you got to win national championships you got to be in that conversation but looking back at it you know if we had the playoff we would have been in it like two to two out of the four years you know at the end of the year i mean i think we we would have been you know so i i don't know man it was just like that it was hard it was hard on me um that type of stuff but then again it's just like well i'm i just can't please everybody i'm gonna go out there and put my best foot forward and had a good career all the plaques are still down in the record room so that speaks for something I think it was it was doomed to be that way no matter it, it's it wasn't you it was doomed to be that way if you think about it which everything about the era I played in was god awful uh as far as the rules and what they put us through but the one good thing is I was in the honeymoon era because everyone remembers it was just in the rearview mirror what it was like to be terrible So whenever you're good again, everybody's happy and you win the championship in 2000. Okay, we were there in 03 and 04. We're going to be there every year. 08, you have a Heisman Trophy winner. You're there. This is the year. At that point, that's whenever the frustration of the the fans show back up like like you're you're usually going to see fans, right? Angry, want to win it. That was just the time, you know. Three national championships in a row. We hadn't got it done. Heisman Trophy winner goes down. I mean, it, it doesn't matter who it was. That that anger or frustration was going to be <laughs> yeah. pouring out on whoever it was. Yeah, you know, that's it's you when you look at it like that, yeah, you can see that for sure. Cause you know, you were in that honeymoon stage and then all of a sudden you're married for nine, ten years and you start actually figuring out who that person is, and it's like, okay we really have to start working at this deal. Yeah. Gosh, this is getting deep guys. I like it <laughs> going deep, baby. I, I do want to ask you about some of the guys that we played with. And obviously you had a special relationship with the wide receivers. When you look back on who you played with, maybe give me like your top three and not, not necessarily how their pro career panned out, but like when you were playing with them, who do you think were the most talented guys you were throwing the ball to? Uh, top three, I would I would say um, Ryan, probably number one, Kenny, um, and then that third one. Man, that's a great question. You know, um, how maybe maybe Cam Kenny. Um, I would probably say three. I would say James Hanna, Cam Kenny, or uh, Jazz Reynolds were probably the most reliable, talented um, guys out there So that I your, like to throw to. What's your, um, what's your favorite moment that you had? You know, a lot of times um, you may be known for a moment. Uh, I, that West Virginia game is one of them. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of stuff out there, but 
is there like a drive or a play or a situation that, um, you know, a lot of people don't talk about, maybe it's not flashy, maybe it wasn't a big game, but uh, whether it was a great throw, something that happened that you look back at as kind of like your favorite sequence, favorite play, favorite moment. Um, I think the um, probably 2011 Texas game, just the whole game, how it went down, how we played um, offense, defense, man, we just kind of put it on them. Um, and that's kind of slid into 2012. Um, you know, it's nice to beat a team like that and take all their confidence away mm-hmm. and then freaking go back into the next year and you know you're just going to throttle those guys. Um, so that was that was really cool. I just think the way how that game played played out and I played well in that game, um, that was one of my more fond memories. That game set up the decade of suck for Texas. It did. There ain't no question about it because they were just coming off of same type of situation. Mm-hmm. Cole McCoy, all that stuff going on, and then Garrett Gilbert steps in, and he was in a no-win situation. I am shocked you did not pick the naked bootleg in the 2010 Big 12 championship game. <laughs> I'm Probably because I almost injured myself trying to run. <laughs> Dude, good night. You were, you were, everyone, you were as shocked as I was when that play call came in. Just what? Okay. I could barely barely move after he pushed me out of bounds. If I had an an ounce of speed inside of my body, I would have scored. What's that like in a huddle for you guys? You know, because defensively it's different. We get the, the same couple of calls that come in, but whenever you have a moment that's like that, and a call comes in, is there, like, a reaction from, like, the huddle? Like, is there, like, yeah. yes, like, there oh, was we're going to get this? There was a couple like, chuckles oh. in there for sure. Everyone was like, hmm, <laughs> okay. The, the, difference, <laughs> the, the difference in college versus kind of the difference in the NFL, like, when there, there's plays, whether it's run page plays or pass plays, where in college the players are like, Everyone will talk about, I hate that play. Like, oh, this play sucks. Like, it's never going to work. But you can't say anything, right? (laughs) Because, like, you have no power in college. Now, in the pros, some like a quarterback or some one of the veterans on the office will be like, no, 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 it plays out. The plays out. You look at the sideline, you give them one of these. (laughs) No, don't want that. Change it. (laughs) So. I didn't hear it. I didn't get it. Headphones are out. I'll just have to call it myself. (laughs) Yeah, I got it. Don't worry about it. So kind of shifting to your pro career, what what was the draft like? Knowing that you had had such a productive career in college and knowing where you were kind of slotted to go the year before and then ended up not going till the fourth round, what, what was that like? You know, it was it was surprising, but again, you look at it all the way around. It was just a bad draft for for any quarterback. There wasn't really a, a team with a bunch of needs other than like Kansas City and I think Jacksonville were the teams. Everybody else kind of did that like bridge guy, where you know Arizona was a team that was really needing a quarterback, and then they picked up Carson Palmer. So a lot of stuff kind of like that happened. My happened my draft year. And then, you know, again, it was just like I was such a known commodity at that time, which there was good things about that and bad things about it. It was like I was a known commodity and I was really productive, but they knew all my weaknesses, all my faults, all that type of stuff so well. And I think that's one of the things that hurt me in the draft is that's why I I slid so far which, you know, my expectations were, you know, maybe late first, early second, uh, worst case scenario, go, go early third round. And I was like, okay, great. No, no big deal. Uh, we'll get a chance to at least compete for a spot. But then, you know, you go to a team like Pittsburgh where it's been, and it's just like, okay, this is the trajectory of my career. Like, you know, the only way I'm going to play is if he gets hurt and then, 
I better make the most of it and try to go to a different team because whenever he comes back, that's it's going to be his team. So that was, you know, again, it was just kind of like a ho-hum experience. It was cool getting drafted. It was awesome doing the NFL combine and the senior bowl and all that type of stuff. But, you know, again, like I set up such this high bar of expectations that I was going to get to go somewhere and play immediately. And when that didn't happen, you know, it was like, ah, this sucks. How was Roethlisberger? Because it seems like with – I don't know if at that time he was secure enough in his situation to where it didn't bother him. But it seems like since then, like quarterback – issues there like a a backup or something like there's some frustration there with him and it almost seems standoffish and maybe that's just a media thing and maybe that's how it's portrayed how, how was that relationship between you guys he was just he was just hard to get to know in the very beginning you know and if you look at it though the dudes won two super bowls um and pittsburgh is notorious for being a heavily defensive drafted team. They usually take defensive guys in the first round. And so that's been going on his basically whole career. And, you know, again, Pittsburgh's not one to do a lot in free agency. So whenever they do take a quarterback, if I was in his shoes, I'd be like, dude, we don't need another freaking quarterback. You got one. Get me some lineman or a wide receiver or something for God's sakes. So in the beginning, our relationship, you know, it wasn't like he didn't really treat me bad. It was just there was nothing really there. But by the end, I built a lot of trust in him, and we got pretty close. So when you're in that situation as the backup to, you know, the face of the franchise, right, how do you, how do you approach it, like, in the meeting rooms, like, on a, a day-to-day basis, like – because it seems like for your entire athletic career, you're walking into a situation going, I'm going to be the guy. I'm going to work so hard that I'm going to be the guy. And then all of a sudden, you don't have a chance to be the guy. Like, you know you're not going to get on the field. Like, how did you handle it mentally? Like, did it change your approach to football at all? No, I mean, a, a little bit. Like, that first that first two years, I might have had the greatest gig of all time being the third guy. If if I could go back now and be like a 10-year veteran, I would never want to go to a team where I'd have to be the backup. I wanted to be the third dude because the third guy does not dress, has no worries, and basically is just out there lifting weights and getting swollen in the weight room. <laughs> so I was, I was just, I just lived in the weight room and watch some film and then, you know, go enjoy, go enjoy a front row seat at you know, Gillette stadium and then eat hot dogs at halftime. So I, I was in hog heaven for those first two years, um, sitting the bench, like in that role. Um, but there was always that thing inside me that was just like, man, I freaking want to get on the field. It sucks right in the bench. And then I'd be like, well, they're paying me pretty good. And I'm getting to watch a lot of football games. There's, there is a bright side to it for sure. Is James Harrison as psychotic as he looks whenever the camera's on him, or is he just a big old puppy dog? Dude, he is the funniest, sweetest dude of all time. Great guy to be around, and that's just like an awesome persona. Like him coming out of the locker room in the tunnel, he is like fighting back, cracking up laughing. <laughs> <laughs> walking around out, out on the field but yeah he's an awesome guy it was fun playing with him very he was so intimidating terrifying oh god he's but, just insane but once you get looking. to know him he's a good dude we we did a joint practice with you guys i was playing for detroit you were okay, still in pittsburgh yeah. and we did one of the joint practices and then we play the preseason game yeah right and we're it's the first day and we are doing we're doing special teams and I'm like a wing on field goal or something. I look up like I just had gotten in position, wasn't paying much attention. I look up and James Harrison is right across from me. And he looks at me. You're gonna drop down. Look, and I look at him and he goes, I'm I'm not rushing. 
<laughs> like so quietly. I'm not rushing. I was like, oh, thank. And in my head, I was like, I was like, sounds good, bro. But in my head, I was like, thank God. Yeah. And I think Prater kicked like two extra points or like two field goals. And then James Harrison looked at Prater, who was, you know, great kicker in the league, right? He goes, Hey, little man, you good? And Prater like looks around, he's like, I mean, yeah. And we just James Harrison just stopped the drill. Like, yeah, was I'm like, I'm I'm done if you guys <laughs> are good. It was it was the craziest thing I had ever seen, and I just couldn't stop laughing. I t- I told everyone I knew that story that night. I thought it was the funniest thing ever. The, our I, special teams coach in Detroit was like, "Wait, what?" Uh, I, I wanted. To we all just walked more. off the field because James Harrison said so. Yeah, that's funny. I tell you, safe, man. I, I used to be the wing on the on punt team, and if someone had punt safe out there. You know, there's no telling what creature you're blocking off the edge oh, on, dude. on, on punt. So when we go out there, it's punt safe. I'd say, Hey, I'm going to cut you if you come and they get real mad. And I'd be like, I'm just, dude, I'm just telling you, if you come, I'm going to cut you. So just so we were, we're clear. Yeah. We're on would, the same page. They would never come. They would never come off the edge hard at all. Just that one little statement saved my life essentially yeah for sure dude because you get those guys like that dude from cincinnati who's that big white dude that they had that would run down on oh was that was that the uh was it marcus hunt or whatever oh yeah yeah that's right what is he czechoslovakian or something like that dude that guy german humongous and he'd run down on kickoff and he'd bust wedges and stuff like it's two, like Israel Donage for Chicago did that. I mean, he's three hundred yeah. pounds. You know who else did that? Jimmy Wilkerson from OU did that for a long time. Two three hundred plus pounds. Unbelievable. Those guys that is that's a train wreck. I've seen oh man, this guy from the Jets ran into like our wedge and he was doing the chicken dance all the way <laughs> across the field to the sideline. And then he comes back and he does the same thing, and he he hits the wedge again. Even same same hard, and the guys were like, "Dude, you're concussed. You need to get out of the game." And he's like, "I can't. I have to get back in. This is my gotta, job. Got to keep this job. Yeah, I gotta okay. keep this job. Okay, let's take a quick break. Do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life." Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. If your business wants to be best-in-class, connect with Insurica at Insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. And make sure you connect with our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. Their licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918 241 lose or visit their facebook page if you mention the podcast you will get a free fat burner injection and guys spring is here and you know what that means it is hard seltzer season baby and there's only one hard seltzer that we drink on this podcast and that is will and wiley hard seltzer from coop Aleworks. it's perfect for any occasion we drink it by the pool at the lake and at the tailgate it is made in oklahoma and it is absolutely delicious Willem Wiley is customized for the Oklahoma lifestyle. Go find it right now in a store near you and go follow them on social media at at Will and Wiley. All right, back to the interview. Okay, so your NFL career, it was what it was, right? In Pittsburgh, yeah, you did. That's you a did great the, way to put it. You, you did the backup gig. 
I I will say this. I forgive you for uh, the game you did start at the end of 2016 when none of the starters for y'all played and you still beat the Browns, and I was a member of the Browns in that game. It's so depressing, dude. Oh, man. Little brother out there. And, hey, you played you, you played good. So, like, it, in my head as I'm watching, I'm like, oh, man, like, he's doing good. I can't be upset. But, oh, my gosh, we're going to lose to him and not playing any of their players. It's so embarrassing. But so after the NFL, you you end up, in a, in a couple of really interesting situations. And I, I remember hearing this at the time it's when the AAF was getting going. Yeah. Did the, I think it was the San Antonio team. The rumor was they offered you like a million dollars to come play for them. Is that true? That is true. That is true. And you said, no, I said, no, <laughs> Okay, explain. <laughs> Dude, okay. So they offered it wasn't a million dollars. They offered me $1.5 million. And I was like, awesome. Send me over the contract. Where do I sign? How how do we get hurry this? before you change your mind, right? Yeah. How, yeah, exactly. How do we get this thing done? So there's they're they're sending me the offer, and I was like, where's the money coming from? And and they're like, Oh, it's a it's it's a silent third party. And I was just like Who's this, who's this silent third-party donor that is giving you all this money to start handing out to players? And they never would tell me. We would get all the way up to negotiations, and then I'd be like, where's the money coming from? Let me talk to the money guy. And they would always say the same thing. They're like, ah, it's a silent third party. And I was just like, dude, you guys don't, you guys don't have the money. If you would, you would have you gone ahead and told me where this guy, where the money's coming from. Let me talk to the guy. Let me investigate a little bit. But they always said the same thing. as the sign third party. And so I was like, this league is, it ain't going to last. There's, there's no way that they're going to actually have, have the ability to pay their players. And so I was like, I'm out, guys. I'm, I ain't doing this. Well, uh, interesting move is a good move. So you end up going to the XFL. What's that? What's the phone call like? Was it Coach Stoops that calls you? Is it your agent that that kind of hinted you in as to what was going on? How'd that whole thing go down? So Coach Stoops was the one that first kind of alerted me to it, and I was I had the same I had the same type of reservations. Like our first conversation, he's like, "Hey, I'm doing this," and I'm like, "Dude, why are you doing this?" And he was like, I'm bored and I got to get back into coaching. I miss coaching. I love football, all the stuff that you love about Coach Stoops. And I was like, okay, great. And I was like, how's the, uh, how, how are the checks been coming in? Because I, I had known that they'd probably, Coach Stoops wasn't going to just do it just to do it. I figured right. that they're paying them pretty good. Um, and he's like, man, all the checks that I've gotten have cashed and all this different type of stuff. Because that was when the AAF had folded. So they folded and the XFL came around. Um, and I was like, all right, great. Let's let me see how free agency plays out. And then um, we'll go from there. And that was like, um, I think January or something like that. He put it on my radar, got picked up by the Raiders, uh, did my thing there for the offseason, got let go by them. And then that's when the conversations really got serious with the XFL. Um, started talking to Doug Whaley a lot. Um, he was the, I think the president at the time and stuff like that. So they had a lot of guys that were in the NFL and good people that I had known and had relationships in the past, like Oliver Luck, um, had known him in the past. Me and Andrew were in the same, um, high school class coming out. And so it just seemed like a more legit thing that would actually last and, and stand the test of time just because Vince McMahon was throwing money into it and it was going to go on for at least a couple of years. You know, they said they're fully funded for three years. So I ended up doing that. It was a good deal. And then COVID happened. Yeah. And I was, I was enjoying watching it. Uh, I was probably enjoying watching you shotgun Bud Light Seltzers in the locker room after the game <laughs> the most. So I was probably enjoying that more than anything, but Okay if my memory serves me correctly, and I think I texted you about this, 
So you come out, you say you're playing in the XFL, right? Yep. We're all assuming you're going to the Dallas Renegades with Bob when the time comes. But didn't Roethlisberger get injured like yeah, for the yeah. year and the Steelers yeah, tried to get you? Yep. So I signed my contract. I, I went to a workout in Detroit. Um, and then I was just like, I, I can't, I can't be in Detroit. I can't do this. Like Detroit, Buffalo, Cleveland, those those were probably the teams that I was literally gonna... everywhere I played. <laughs> yeah. I was yeah, just basically like, me too. I, I can't I can't do that. I can't do those cities. Um uh, and so I came back and I was like, no way. I ain't going through another workout. I'm not doing that. So I signed. Um, the XFL contract in August and then Ben goes down Pittsburgh tries to pick me back up and Oliver Luck said no he's under contract we we can't let him and I'd had no clue I had no idea that they tried to call they tried to contact me anything like that wow I can't believe they didn't they didn't do that I think that's ultimately good for the league you know I I played in the UFL which was a Similar. It was all NFL guys, NFL coaches, um, a lot of uh, veteran NFL guys that were that were on those teams, and they were letting guys out of their contract to go back and sign on with NFL teams, and um, and I think that ultimately was a good thing. They let me out to go sign with Jacksonville, but I, the NFL to me, um, it it left me, I don't know. It kind of changed my perspective on football on the sport. Um, I, I was, I just, for whatever reason, it kind of changed. It made my, me very bitter. Yeah. I don't know. I, well, I don't know about you guys, but like, it, it just, I, I think it made me more of an, I don't know, maybe an angrier, more bitter person for a while. Yeah, for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, sure. the thing with me was like, I enjoyed the game to win, like the camaraderie, being on a team, the the journey of trying to win and going through that together and as soon as I got the NFL I was like that that is not what this is this is you know it's kind of like being a mercenary it's every man for himself but when I went to the UFL I played three years I didn't make hardly any money but it was the most fun other than college it was the most fun that I could ever imagine playing football Everyone made the same amount. There was no ego. It was so much fun. Was that, did you have that same feeling in the XFL? Was it, cause it's hard, man. It's different. It's, it's totally it's different. different. You know, getting, getting fired three times in one year will 100% humble you. And it makes you sit back and real and really think I was like, okay, I'm a, I, I was a good football player. But my NFL career, I, I, I had to have the right situation to be a starter. You know, I had to have the right coaches, a good offensive line, and some people around me to function and be, and be a high-quality starter. And it took me a while to accept those things because you always sit there and are like, no, man, I could, I could go in and I could play anywhere. But until I, I went through that thing, I was just like, all right, I am who I am. Let's let's be a realist. And then when I went to the XFL, it was just like, all right, I'm going to do the this is my last stop. Like I'm not going back to the NFL. Um, And once I signed on that dotted line, the only teams that I would have maybe considered was like a Kansas City or a Pittsburgh just because I had relationships there or maybe a Las Vegas, um, something like that had to be the right situation. So I was, man, I was having so much fun in the XFL. Unfortunately, I got hurt. That kind of derailed the process. But, yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a really cool experience. I'm kind of sad to see it go. Yeah, and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see if – I mean, if The Rock can't bring it back, then no one can. Ain't nobody going to bring that thing back. <laughs> we'll see. USFL's okay. going. They're, they're going in. It's what it sounds like, well, but – I, it, really? it may be a well. It sounds like you're maybe a uh, I'll believe it when I see it guy when it comes yeah. to that. Yeah, it's people don't realize, and whenever you go into a startup, how much money it takes to, and what all goes into getting a football team onto the field for practice. Like 
things that you don't ever think about tape and just like all the other things. There's so much there that people don't account for. It's yeah. a money hole. Yeah. 100%. I think the XFL would have made it though, man. We're getting traction. We're on TV. The I was in freaking- Mexico like right before everything shut down and we're at the, the swim up bar in Mexico and it's piled with people watching the games on the weekend. It was, fun. yeah, it was cool. The extra point thing. I think the NFL should do that. I think it's getting kind of dark out here. Let me move inside real quick, boys. Oh, we've got, we've got time to kill. We've kept him so long that it's, it's getting dark it's getting dark. That's how you. That's how you know it's good. I just yeah. have a feeling he's going to walk inside, and Whitney's going to be there, and then we're going to go down a line of questioning about how many times he's been told he outkicked his coverage. <laughs> Dude, if you don't outkick your coverage, there's something wrong with you. Then you, then you married an ugly girl. <laughs> you know, you know if you think about it logically, you want to outkick your coverage. Makes it makes a lot of sense what you just put out there, son. Um, okay, so the playing days are over. Yep. What's going on now? Uh, you, you and I have talked about the quarterback academy. How excited are you for this to get this new phase of your life started? And what are kind of all the details so the people can know everything they need to know about it? Yeah. So um, bought two franchises, uh, the D1 franchise. Um, it's basically a big a training facility. Um, one's going to be in Argyle, where I'm at right now. And then the other one is in Alito, Texas. Um, the one in Argyle is not built. The one in Alito, Texas was already built. All the weights, the turf, everything was there. Um, the owner just left the, the franchise for some reason. I don't know what, what was really going on there. They asked me if I want to take it over. I said, yeah, let's do it. So taking that one over um, and then going to run a football camp, particularly a quarterback academy through there. Um, it'll start July 5th and go through July 22nd. Um, there'll be six sessions inside there that you can sign up for. Um, and you can choose a Monday, Wednesday schedule or a Tuesday, Thursday schedule. Um, and it goes from 2 p.m. to 7 p.m., with one hour sessions, um, groups, no bigger than five. Um, and I'll shoot you over the flyer and all that type of stuff. But if you want to get a hold of me, you want to get signed up. Um, there are 50 spots available. Email me at landry.jones at d1 training.com and Gabe, I'll shoot all that stuff over to you. Sweet, man. Yeah. What do you know about playing quarterback, bro? <laughs> Dude, it's all I tried to escape it for as long as I could, and I can't escape it anymore, man. It's all I've ever done. It's all I ever know. So, shoot, I might as well pass on what little knowledge I have left. Do you like the, the coaching aspect of it? You know, some guys, there's a lot of really good players that, you know, just can't pass on those keys and those, those tips to other guys. Have you felt like you've got a knack for that? You like doing it? I like doing it. I always loved the X's and O's. I loved watching tape. I was one of those weird guys that loved breaking down tape, loved preparing for games. That was one of my favorite parts about playing. And I really fell in love with it at Pittsburgh um, because they let me be a part of it a little bit. Um, So me and the quarterback coach would do some red zone stuff together. I'd sit in on third downs and um, game plan for the the week. And they kind of, gave me the reins a, a little bit there in, in Pittsburgh, man, I just fell in love with it. But, you know, it's being a coach. It's like, you're always waiting for that next job and you're bouncing around from city to city to city. And so with this thing, I get to be in one location, um, get to do what I'm passionate about coaching quarterbacks, helping kids kind of fulfill their dreams. You know, if a kid wants to go to a division one school, I mean, I freaking went to every camp there was, that you could think of for a quarterback and played at an awesome university and then went on to senior bowl, NFL combine, got drafted, played in the NFL. So I just been in a lot of unique rooms and have seen it done um, at a high level, you know, getting to watch Ben and seeing what he does. Um, so picked up a lot of cool things there and just excited to pass, pass that on to, to the next generation. And, you know, hopefully we'll see, I get to be a part of a kid's journey from 
middle school to high school to college to pros. Well, by the time we put this out, I will have had my first son. And I hope you know I expect a significant discount when I send him <laughs> to the QB Academy <laughs> here in like there, No, years. there's no way that you're getting a discount. I'll charge you double. Damn it. Serve a spot for that, that 2035 summer. Make sure you fill in. Go ahead. Yeah, and fill in. in. Pencil uh, be in. Okay, Mike, What's All the right, name? Man. You got a name yet? Cameron, wife's maiden name. Oh, okay. Yeah, I like so keeping it. So probably going to call him Cam. You know, Cam's a good QB name, right? Sweet. Great QB name. First rounder QB name right there. It is. Hopefully, hopefully he's a first rounder on the PGA Tour, boys. <laughs> hopefully we can uh, <laughs> make life what? a little more simple for him. Hey, Cameron Landry Eichert. How great does that sound? That actually doesn't sound bad, but there's like, no chance in hell. That sounds like an awesome man. I've been I've been freaking trying to get people to name their children after me. All my buddies, anybody who has a kid, I throw it out there. I haven't had anybody bite yet, so you guys well, should start having kid more kids and name you got it. You got to start by asking people to name their dogs after you, and then it <laughs> escalates to kids, right? Wow, we just jumping straight into the fire, going full <laughs> throttle. All right, man. This was fun. Um, I'm I'm happy for you. I'm happy that you're getting to do something you're passionate about. I know it's been it's been an interesting journey to no this point, it. but it's it's always good to catch up, man. I love you. Yeah, love you, buddy. Thanks for having me on. That was fun. Man, there was a lot in there, but some good stuff. Just a an interesting career. Right. I thought the stuff about, you know, kind of the relationship between him and the fans is really good. I did some really good things in college. Pro career didn't go the way he went. Played in all kinds of different leagues. Like, I mean, you talk about a football journey. Landry Jones went on it. He did. And he's still on the journey, uh, which is cool. You know, he's moving to a different role, gonna start coaching up some kids, which is which is awesome. But dude, there's no doubt about it. He he started his career in an absolute cannot win situation and somehow he turned into the the school's uh, all-time leading passer you know and uh hey he played a long time in the NFL he made a lot of money playing football you can't have many complaints about that yeah no I'm I'm with you you're right all right just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Until next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other. <laughs>